Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. And I'm Jocelyn Lai, principal and founder of JSL Talent Consulting. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 26. After a couple weeks juggling backup mics, I'm finally back to my usual setup, and it feels really good. I feel like my old podcasting self again. I also just put out our first reader and listener survey, something that I've been wanting to do for a while. We're Next is built specifically for students and junior talents, so feedback and input from this audience is everything. If you're listening to this episode, I'd love your help in shaping the way We Are Next continues to grow and evolve. I'll include the link to the survey in the show notes. And look out for a special little surprise at the end of it. I've already gotten so many amazing responses, and I wanted to share one about the podcast that I thought was a good setup for today's episode. So this person responded, I love the podcast. It makes me feel invigorated, empowered, and also sometimes totally intimidated by the people who seem leagues ahead of me in terms of their confidence, knowing what they want, what they're good at, etc. My favorite are when the conversations are a little bit vulnerable. It's a reminder that kick-ass people are human too and have moments of struggle. I love this response and how specific it is, and I totally agree. The episodes where the guests can get a little bit vulnerable about what they're struggling with or have struggled with in the past, those really do make for the best conversations. And I wanted to tell this person too that as just an individual in the industry and also as someone who interviews people in the industry, I think people are more in the same boat than you think. I think a lot of people, we sound confident and we present ourselves in a confident way and there's nothing wrong with confidence. It's awesome. Um, But I think deep down under everything, we're all just trying to figure it out. And hopefully... As we talk about figuring it out more, we can help others do the same. This week's guest, Jocelyn Lai, recruited talent and built teams at some of the industry's biggest names, like Droga5 and RGA, before founding her own business, JSL Talent Consulting. She's equal parts inspiring, helpful, and vulnerable, and her advice is super specific to getting a job. So let's get to it. Enjoy. I'm so glad we're getting to talk. This is actually the second day in a row we're getting on (laughs) some sort of virtual call um, as I talked at your class, your remote class yesterday, which was a lot of fun. Um, So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, you bet. I'm excited about this. Well, so we connected, I think through LinkedIn, it was one of those things where, and we talked about this yesterday at the class, where we both lived in New York, but never really crossed paths. And now... I'm, I'm glad we did. I think when we when we got on the phone and, and talked to each other, there were a lot of like parallels in kind of our career paths and like how we thought about the industry and what we're doing now. So, I mean, I, I'm really excited to get into this conversation and, and share more of that with the, the listeners. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it, it is really interesting to me how we were probably so close in proximity yeah. and network and circles in New York, but it took us like taking a step back and pausing a bit and slowing down our lives to finally meet each other. I know. So it's a good reminder for all of us. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So I wanted to start with the way that you got into the industry. And I know you didn't start in recruiting. So I'd love to hear how, you know, each subsequent role that you took on really led you to what you're doing now. Yeah, so I studied advertising at University of Texas in Austin, um, and I actually didn't really know what advertising was. I just kind of chose that major because I knew I liked the business world, um, 
but I was more of the creative side. So it was, when I was applying to schools, it was between business school and fashion design. Um, but I heard that business school was really tough and I wasn't the best at school in terms of academics. I was really good at projects, um, and extracurriculars, but not the actual test taking. So everyone always said, well, advertising is a creative side of business. And I didn't grow up watching a lot of TV, so I didn't really understand what advertising was. I just knew it was the creative side of business. Um, so when people would ask me, what, what are you majoring in? I'd say advertising because it's the creative side of business, not really knowing what it was. <laughs> So um, I took my first intro to advertising class and it wasn't really any tests. It was a lot of just understanding pop culture, understanding consumer behavior, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I, I wish high schools showed more of these classes, the business side of classes, because I feel like there's so many opportunities missed with individuals um, because I didn't realize how much I liked it until I by chance took that class. Um, and so at UT, you can specialize in media or creative at the time. Um, and I thought I wanted to be an art director because I liked art and drawing and crafts and all that stuff. So I applied for that sequence, got in, um, and realized mm, it's actually not what I thought it'd be. Mm-hmm. I thought I would enjoy thinking about a brand 24-7, but I didn't. I was a little bit too ADD for that. So. <laughs> Um, I also applied for the media sequence because I also had, I prided myself on being an overachiever, um, which is a very critical personality and you'll, I'll explain the the transformation part of that. Um, but I applied for the media sequence as well because I thought, well, no one's doing both. I'm going to be that one who breaks the mold (laughs) because I'll be creative and good at numbers and strategy. Um, and it wasn't until I was balancing both that I realized I can't do both like it's impossible and it took a professor sitting me down and telling me that it was okay to not complete something which was so against my grain and so against I was but I had to hear that and that's like stayed with me my whole career um so I ultimately graduated with the media concentration and a minor in Chinese um and I had well, I'll backtrack, I'll backtrack a few months before graduation. I graduated early. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to graduate summa cum laude, which was my goal. Um, I had a job offer in hand months before graduation, which was unheard of in the ad industry at the time. So life was great. It was awesome. Right. Um, but then I graduated and the economy tanked. And the company I was supposed to work for laid off 20% of their workforce, and they rescinded all of their offers, including mine. Oh and I also got into yeah, <laughs> and I also got into a conflict and a disagreement with a professor, um, and I lost my summa cum laude. And so it went from like having everything to really losing everything I'd worked for. Um, and I mentioned this because it's a, it was probably one of the more depressing points in my life because I felt like I worked for all of this, but didn't get any of the, anything in return. Um, the important part of it was how, how are we able to recover from that? How are we able to pick ourselves up? Because we'll all face that Mm -hmm. at some point in our careers and in our lives. Um, so I actually, um, that January I went to most promising as one of the most promising minority students. I originally went just because it was a free trip. Right. I was like, that's awesome. Uh, but I was like, okay, I really need to actually job hunt now because I no longer have this job. I'm no longer going to need to pack my bags. Um, so I very diligently interviewed and I actually left that event with 13 job offers in a bad economy. Yeah. (laughs) And I say that not in a way to boast about it, but I say it in a way of there is a lot of hope and opportunity out there if you make the most out of it. Because it was a poor economy. I was 
triple minority yeah. in that I am um, a woman, a woman of color, and I was really junior. Yeah. And that I consider as kind of, it can be a minority, mm-hmm. right? Because there is that internal bias. So having faced all of those and still having 13 job offers I could choose from, that was incredible. So start off in media, then went client side. Um, and then I realized I really didn't like the business side of things because <laughs> things move too slow, Right. which looking back, I should have known this, but campaigns year over year and products year over year only change a very minimal percentage, um, especially on the client side. So on the client side, I was doing more e-commerce analytics um, and a little bit of production as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was all about, okay, well, if these genes aren't performing, we need to gather enough data over a year to even make one change in our website. (laughs) And so I said, okay, I'm going to take this risk of just leaving work and going to grad school because one of my goals was also to teach at some point, and it's much easier with a master's degree. Mm-hmm. So went to grad school and realized I have to pay for grad school <laughs> and applied for a bunch of jobs. This was back at Austin, so I went back to UT to get my master's. Um, and there was a role, um, a contract recruiter role where the woman, the permanent recruiter, was going out on maternity leave, they needed someone to cover for her, and they were looking to build an analytics department. And that was a very heavy portion of my role, client side, was building out these analytics reports. And at the time, analytics was brand new, so no one really knew what it was. Um, And they said, well, this is perfect. You have been an analyst before. You know the language. You know what to look for because you've done the job. We've never done it before. So we don't really know what to look for. And we have a recruiter leaving on maternity maternity leave. So they really took a risk on me in hiring me. And I thank that manager to this day. Had it not been for her, I never would have gotten into recruiting. Mm. Um, so did the temp job. Love, love, loved it. Eventually joined full time. Um, and my role there was really help build out the analytics department um, and help build out the technology department because at that time, digital was the brand new thing. Um, (laughs) And then they asked me to switch over into biz dev because of my business background where my role is very much of creating these thought leadership pieces. So at the time, I remember iPhone 3 had come out. So so it was um, following that live stream and hurry up and make six slides where it's like the most important things marketers need to know about iPhone 3 and send it to our prospective clients. (laughs) And then follow up and convert those into and so hopefully um, actual revenue stream. So did that for about six months and realized I really miss recruiting mm-hmm. because the business side, as strategic as you get to be, it still moves slower and it's much more of a desk job. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's silly, but for me, it was really being able to walk around and not sit at my desk was, it made me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't something I'd really thought about. So then I joined another agency, um, GSDNM, and they were, they're also in Austin. Um, and they were going through also a similar transformation period of, okay, we're known for these big Americana TV brand, uh, TV campaigns like Southwest Airlines, you know, how can we become more digital? So they were going through rebranding and they thought, okay, well, also needs to come from a talent perspective, but our talent person has to understand the biz dev side. Right. So it's a perfect role for me. And I really helped in shape who they were and how to communicate the brand to talent um, by talking to candidates in the right way and reaching out to them in a digital way, right? Because right. the way you reach out to someone reflects your brand. Um, and then I loved it there, 
really learned a lot in terms of managing expectations, presence with executives. Um, and I thought, well, I'm kind of ready for the next challenge, but I don't know where to go. Maybe it's New York, maybe it's Chicago. I was on a road trip with my mom in Iowa, and she said, what about San Francisco? And I said, never. <laughs> People in San Francisco way too cool for me. <laughs> And literally the next day, someone from RGA reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in San Francisco? <laughs> and so it just seemed a little bit too serendipitous for right. me to not take the call. So I took the call and ended up um, moving to San Francisco because the opportunity was something I couldn't pass up. And it was mm -hmm. essentially help us rebuild our San Francisco office because it was really a challenging time for agencies in San Francisco while all these tech companies and startups were booming. Okay. Um, and then let's open the LA office. And so I went there and did that. Um, and I have a minor in Chinese, so I'm fluent in Mandarin. And I told my manager when I interviewed that one of my goals is to work in Asia. Mm -hmm. And so a year later, having been on West Coast, she said, hey, we need someone to go help us open up Shanghai mm -hmm. um, and also research for Singapore and grow Sydney. Would you be up for it? And I said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I mentioned that small bit because it's important to, I feel, to seed your your goals within every conversation. Had I not mentioned that to her in my interview, my goal was to go to Asia and that I'm fluent in Mandarin, she probably wouldn't have thought of me. Mm -hmm. um, so I went there, absolutely loved it, but I was in this long-distance relationship. It was really difficult yeah. um, from Singapore to Pittsburgh and also really expensive. Um, and so then I moved to New York and joined Droga5, where, once again, opportunity that I could not pass down. And that opportunity was they were really growing. Mm -hmm. um, they had been using headhunters for the most part, but they wanted to establish an internal recruiting practice. So they asked me to do that. And I did it, loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, grew an amazing team who's still there today. And um, let's see, from there, then I got engaged and I was like, okay, well, my husband's job is in Pittsburgh. I, I kind of was at a point in my career where I felt I accomplished everything I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then he had also gotten an opportunity for us to live in Japan for a few months. So I was like, well, this is my chance to live in Japan and get paid to live there yep. and not really ever have to work. Um, so left Droga 5. We lived in Japan for a bit, then moved to Pittsburgh. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do after leaving Droga 5. I had no plans, mm -hmm. um, which I'd never done before in my life. I always had something lined up in a purpose. Right. So that was also a point where I had to really question, who am I? What do I stand for? What do I want to be when I grow up? Um, when I grow up even more. And so that's where JSL Talent Consulting came about, where I realized I very much missed the ad world in terms of the people, the talent, the thinking, the craziness in terms of genius, creativity, yep. right? Um, and I wanted to stay close to that. Um, but at the same time, I always wanted to work for myself ever since I was a kid. I've been mm -hmm. wanting to do that. Um, so I saw it as an opportunity as it's finally an op a chance for me to really try something I've never done before, right? I've built organizations and helped them grow from an organization that was 100 people, there was one that was 400, there was some that were 1,000, there were some that were global. I've seen kind of the spectrum of it, except mm -hmm. How do you go from one person to more than one? Right. Um, and so that's kind of where I am now, where I have my talent consultancy, where I do help or creative organizations find talent. And I also represent talent and I also coach talent. But I also surround myself with all these different side projects as well, where mm -hmm. I 
plug into local entrepreneurs here. So I sew bow ties, I help with home staging, and they're all local business owners who have gone from one to right now like three to four people. So that's my current state is um, how to learn to, to start a business and grow it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have so many follow-ups. I'm going to limit them to <laughs> only a couple of points because you covered a okay. lot. I mean, the first thing I wanted to go back to was, I mean, you mentioned, you know, going to MPMS and leaving with, you know, 13 job offers. Do you feel like, can you point to something in those, whether it was like the interviews or what you're bringing to the table that caused, you know, such an amazing success rate? Like, was there one thing or was it, I got the overall package that you were bringing to them? Yeah, there are two things that absolutely I've no doubt contributed to it. Mm-hmm. One was having a very clean resume. Um, and I say that because every recruiter I handed it to, their reaction was, this is a great resume. Mm-hmm. And then also having business cards. And at the time, no students had business cards. Now right. I feel like every student does. Right, right. Um, so it goes back to that. And then it's also back to, um, this is when I I look back and I'm like, I should have been a recruiter from the very beginning. <laughs> but I was ad club president, um, and we invited all these organizations to come into town, and I would maintain and grow those relationships. And they were the recruiters who were also at all of these events. I see. So a lot of these recruiters, I'd actually known them from years before when I didn't even know what advertising was. But I kept going, and I was like, I don't know what they're talking about, but it's cool. Um, and I kept in touch with them. And I made excuses to keep in touch with them. Um, And and the job I ultimately took, I actually didn't know them before, anyone who worked at the company. And it ended up being the CMO who single-handedly came and said, hey, we want you to come work here. And I was like, all right, well, if you're the CMO wanting me, then I'll go. Um, And the reason they reached out was they said it was because of my resume. They liked my resume. Um, And so that's actually a topic. So I teach a class at University of Oklahoma, which is a rival to UT. Um, But I teach a class where we cover significantly on how to make your resume scannable. And it's actually just the principles of experience design, right? So a recruiter has 30 seconds to look at your resume. How do you convey your message in a short, concise, and accurate way? So those are two things, networking and also having a good resume. Yeah, I think both points are super important. One, that you know, what a a little connection that you make even through a student group or something that seems um, like it doesn't matter in the moment can, you know, you never know where that's going to lead and people move agencies all the time. And so, you know, their next move could be, you know, an opportunity for you as well. And what you're saying about scannable resumes, I get that question all the time in terms of, you know, how much creativity should you put into your resume? And obviously, in advertising, we're all trying to stand out and differentiate ourselves. But I think keeping in mind that aspect of, yeah, they don't have that much time. They need to mm-hmm. be able to, you know, see kind of the highlights of your resume as quickly as possible. I think, you know, we all have to keep that in mind while, you know, trying to put our own little like flavor into it. Obviously, we're not saying that everyone's resume should look exactly the same. But to your point, right. following those principles of experience design and where our eyes go and all that stuff is is definitely beneficial. There are, there are some really top creatives that I've hired where their portfolio hasn't been like over the top cre- creative in terms of design, but right. the content is great. So it's all about visual organization. That's priority over anything. Yeah. And you mentioned too, um, keeping in touch with people, you know, over the years 
finding mm-hmm. ways to kind of stay on someone's radar. And that's another question that I get really frequently. How do you, especially um, with a recruiter who maybe you interviewed and they didn't have a position or whatever, how do you keep yourself kind of top of mind over sometimes a long period of time without, you know, coming off annoying or, you know, a bug in someone's ear. And so I'd love to hear, I guess, from your experience having done that, having kept in touch with people, but also on the recruiting side, having been a recruiter and probably received some of these emails, what are some of the best ways to do that? Yeah, so when I was a candidate or when I was a student, um, I put Google Alerts on all the agencies I wanted to work at. That way, anytime they had news hit Mm -hmm. the internet, I knew, okay, I need to congratulate them on new business and they're probably going to be looking for people, so I'm going to also attach my resume. On the flip side, sometimes the news was they lost this account. In that case, you probably shouldn't send them your resume (laughs) at that time or, or even reach out until they win another piece of business. So Google Alerts helped me a lot. Um, another thing that I did, which I think is a little bit of a lost art, but every time students do this to this day, hiring managers are wowed by it, is writing actual thank you notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're creative, you can get creative with it. You could design your own thank you notes. I thought I wanted to be creative, so I did like these fingerprint art things <laughs> that I thought was super cool. Um, but writing thank you notes makes a big difference in the number of hiring managers who actually keep those cards or pin it up on their board. I would say about 80% of them actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or they'll take a picture and send it around to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are these human touches that help. Um, today, it's much easier than before because you can follow them on Twitter. You can follow them on LinkedIn or connect with them on LinkedIn. Um, there's so many different methods of doing it much more passively than aggressively. Right. Now, the difference to that is I highly encourage, so if I was – Now I'm thinking as if I was a recruiter, um, but giving advice to candidates. Um, How would a candidate keep in touch with me? Well, a lot of them follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, and then they add me on Facebook. And for me personally, once they add me on Facebook, I'm like, all right, that's a little bit too much. Right, right. And I say for me, because every recruiter is different. And that's a key is there's no one way of recruiting because there's no standardized recruiting school or standardized recruiting cert- certification. Right, right. Um, and it's fine to have these conversations with recruiters. In fact, if you love every an Instagram post every so often, that's a good way to stay on their radar. Mm-hmm. But if you start loving every single one right. or retweeting every single tweet, that's when it's too much. Right, right. Um, but I always like to say there's as long as you're creating personal meaning with the recruiter, that's that's not a problem at all. So it's is there a benefit to them and is it relevant to them? If it meets both of those, then go for it. Yeah. I mean, my favorite, my personal, I'm not a recruiter, but obviously my favorite ways to keep in touch with people kind of like on that more professional level are LinkedIn and Twitter. And I always tell students, you know, even just liking people's updates on LinkedIn, it makes it so that once you reach out on LinkedIn after having, you know, liked or commented on a few things, like you said, not everything, then you're not, you're not a complete stranger when you do reach out and they've seen your name come up in the notifications and stuff like that. And I think, I mean, that's so, I think LinkedIn overall is a highly underrated social mm-hmm. network because we used, we're used to not thinking like about it like that. It's kind of just this thing that we have to have to get a job, but they've made so many um, improvements in terms of the content that people are able to share now. And I think um, it's a really great way to 
Yeah, just kind of like you, I like that you put it, you know, passively stay on someone's radar versus feeling like you have to email them every three months with something, you know? Right, right. And another thing um, that's worked a lot for me when I, and it ultimately helped me get into the recruiting scene was um, actually helping the recruiter do their job. Mm. Because as a student, you know probably 300 other advertising students who might be perfect for this job that the recruiter just posted. Maybe you want the job too, but it's also going to make your message more clear and it shows a bit of your personality when you say, hey, I'm interested in this role and here are two other people who I know are also interested. Ooh, that's so that's really also creating more and more. Yeah, so by referring other people, you get the conversation going because you know that's the recruiter's need. Right. Um, and this has happened a few times with my LinkedIn updates where I'll post, hey, looking for a senior copywriter and someone will post the name of their friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, I'll look at the friend's information, but then I also always naturally look at who is this person who's so kind as to not offer themselves up, right. but offer their friend up. I want to get to know them. Right. Being selfless is kind of a rare trait in the business world. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So that's another method yeah. to, to get in front of recruiters. I love that. I think that's all really great advice. You mentioned that you're an adjunct professor at the University of Oklahoma, and the class that you teach is really focused on helping students prepare for the real real world, which is awesome because I think not enough classes focus on that aspect of just preparing yourself to to enter the workforce, period, versus, you know, the the task at hand that you have to do in your role. And one of the topics that you cover is personal branding. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to spend a little time digging into that. First, I think a lot of students have heard that you need to brand yourself or, you know, build your personal brand. But can you break down what exactly that means? How does one go about building a personal brand? Yeah, so I'll start by defining what is a personal brand. Um, So your personal brand is basically what people say about you when you're not in the room, right? It's the feelings that are attached to your name. It's the reactions people have when your name is said. Mm -hmm. It's the words that are associated with your name. Um, And the reason why it's so important to lead your personal brand is if you don't define your personal brand, someone else will define it for you because we all have a brand without even trying, right? Because it's it's essentially what people think of you. Um, And if you allow other people to define that brand for you, chances are it's not going to be accurate or it's not going to be precise enough to to be who you want to actually show the world. And ultimately, you want to reflect who you want to attract. So that's why it's so important to have personal branding because if you're not putting out into the world who you are with your values um, and what you stand for, you're not going to attract the right opportunities. If the perception about you is that you're arrogant when you actually aren't, maybe you just said something wrong in a meeting, right. then you're probably only going to attract arrogant employers, right. which right. doesn't match with your values. Um, so it's all tied in. Um, and your question was also, how do you define a, or create your personal brand? Yeah. Like, is there some sort of exercise or things that people can think about? I think as students, it's, it's hard to almost to define yourself at that point. I mean, obviously your personal brand maybe evolves as you, um, get more experience and get older, but I guess for someone just starting out, how do they start to identify those words that they want to associate with themselves? Yeah, so this is an interesting exercise, and I do it with all of my classes because it's always the hardest one. And at the beginning, when I ask my students, what is your personal brand, they do it independently, and almost everyone's brand is the same. It's, I'm hardworking, ethical, dedicated, and loyal. 
that is not a personal brand if it's not unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the exercise that I take them through is think about one, what you wanted to be when you were, when you were like five, what did you want to be when you were supposed to grow up? Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, look at your life from when you were hit a kid until present and think about what have you absolutely enjoyed and loved and then find the trends and patterns behind it because they usually point to your personal brand. Um, and so when, when I look at my, my life um, and the patterns in my life, I think about what jobs have I absolutely loved, never been bored about. Well, when I was seven, I'd wake my sister up at 6 a.m. every day and say, can I braid your hair before we go to school? I'd force her. Um, and then in high school, I would get to school at 7 a.m. so I could braid people's hair and I started cutting people's hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then swim coaching, pian- teaching piano. I loved those jobs teaching at OU. I love that job. And so there is a common thread between all of those. And it's hard to find it if you look at it superficially. It takes about two hours to really analyze it. Um, But once you get it, it never really changes in your life. So you're doing a lifetime's homework. And for me, the trend and pattern behind all that was transformation. Mm. Um, So going from looking good to looking amazing with hair and makeup, going from being completely afraid of water to building building enough confidence to swim two laps, maybe even four laps. Um, For piano, it's completely foreign notes and keys to understanding this brand new language. So it's that transformation aspect. And then when I look at my career, that's been very consistent as well. Mm -hmm. So I would say about three to four years into my, my career, I realized that was my personal value. And that's what I look for in every job. So building an analytics department, transforming um, from very traditional to digital, um, restructuring, mm-hmm. opening up new offices, starting new departments, um, starting new practices. It's all about transformation. So that's what I found to be the most helpful yep. with students in defining what their personal brand is. And then taking those words or your brand, what are some things that people can use as reflections or expressions of that brand? Where should they be kind of infusing those words to to best represent themselves? Yeah, so that's a tricky question because there is an answer to it, but there's also a, not an answer to it. Okay. <laughs> so the easiest way to think about that is the way we build communication touch points for our clients' brands, right. that's how we need to think about ourselves. Um, and a lot of times you can have the right or the right placement of the message, but the message is incorrect. So mm-hmm. there's a lot about um, the art of how in personal branding as well. Um, so it's if you think about, I always like to use a dating metaphor. So if you think about your girlfriend or boyfriend, it's not the fact that they wore clothes, it's how they wore it that right. matters. Right. Um, it's not the fact that you went on a date, it's how the date went. Um, and for anyone who's engaged or knows someone who's recently engaged, it's not the fact that he proposed or she proposed, it's how. We mm-hmm. all want to know how they proposed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a big art of how when it comes to um reflecting yourself because yes you can write an email but the way you write it that can be so much more powerful than the fact that you did your job and followed to send a follow-up email Um, but then there are also much more black and white methods so um, you know your Instagram feed it can really show how you view the world or what your passions are if your goal is to work on a fashion brand Mm -hmm. um, or retail client let that show in your Instagram feed Um, so I think any sort of social media is the easiest way 
to share your brand with recruiters and really the world out there and, and any side projects too. So mm -hmm. maybe you're unemployed for a few months and you have this side project going on. Share it with the internet because who knows if it could go viral and people can search anything on the internet now. Right. So someone could stumble upon it and think, wow, I, you're perfect for this project actually. So yeah, I would say leverage the internet for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think those are all really great points. And yeah, it's when we talked about this yesterday in your class in terms of the the sort of more blurred lines between our personal and professional selves and social, I think, is a big yeah. um, contributor to that. And um, but, you know, leveraging it in the right way, like you said, to reflect what we want out of our careers. And, and I always tell students, too, that they have a right to be choosy at the beginning if they know what they want to do with their career or the direction that they want to go. Because not everyone has the luxury of that. You know, a lot of students graduate, they're not sure, you know, what what role they want to get into or what type of agency. And that's fine. You know, there's, you know, a certain amount of exploring that I think we all do when we first start out. But if you do know, I think that's something really special and you feel passionately that, like you said, you want to work for a fashion, you know, with for fashion clients or you really want to be a media planner. I think the more that we can reflect those choices that you know we've made for ourselves the faster we could get to a job that's going to make us really happy and satisfied versus you know taking a few years to to sort of figure it out so yeah 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 and sometimes it takes trying something to realize you don't want it um, and it's way easier to try it when you're younger and you have less to, to lose than when you're much more senior. And I see a lot of candidates who are at the senior director level who want to try something new, but they can't because right. they have a family to support right, um, right. or they have a mortgage. So you're absolutely right. I think um, you have the right to be choosy when you know what you want and you, you've just graduated. Yeah. That's the time to be choosy. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen being made when it comes to applying a job overall? What are some things that people should keep in mind to, to avoid? Yeah, so anything, any sort of application materials or even really, really any communication content to a recruiter or a company has to have the perception of being very thoughtful. And I say perception because we all know that when you apply for jobs, you're going to apply to 20 of them and you copy paste. Um, yeah. But if you tweak a few words, it can come off to where the reader thinks you wrote the message mm -hmm. just for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so tailoring your message to be relevant to the reader is critical. Um, and one of the biggest mistakes I see in this is people copy paste and they're so fast because they think quantity will get them a job right. over quality, which is very false. Um, and they misspell my name or they actually have someone else's name on there or right. another company's name. And this happens a lot, mm -hmm. a lot. And it's the curse of copy paste. <laughs> so attention to detail. Um, another one, and I get this question a lot from my students, is I see this role in account management that looks interesting, but I also see this role as a creative strategist, and I also see this role as a media planner. They all look awesome, mm -hmm. which is the truth. But the mistake is to apply for all three. Right. Because the second you apply for all three, you are perceived as someone who doesn't know what you want. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, I didn't know this until I became a recruiter on the back end. We have an applicant tracking system where we can see all the different roles that you've applied for. Right, right. So applying to jobs in all these different departments is a mistake. But another mistake is also 
someone who applies to an internship and also creative director role. And this happens a lot because no, when you're a student, you don't really know what a creative director does. You don't realize it's someone who's 12 plus years of experience because you were a creative director for the student run ad agency. That makes sense. Um, So really reading the job descriptions and the years of experience makes a huge difference in perception because the second we see someone who's applied to an intern and a director role, we're like, they didn't even do their homework of reading the job description. How can right. we trust that they can read a brief right, or right. their emails? Um, so those are probably the biggest mistakes. Um, the uh, last one is more towards like us as a millennial generation is mm-hmm. word choice. Mm-hmm. So using the word deserve, earned, um, anything that gives this um, perception of you being entitled just take them out of your vocabulary it's fine if you talk like that with each other I talk like that with my friends Um, but when it comes to applying for jobs perception is everything Um, and we already have that unfortunate perception of all being cocky and arrogant so removing any and all opportunities for that to be confirmed yeah I mean what it sounds like you're saying too overall is you know, putting a little bit more time and like rigor into the application process. And I think it's a good point based on the fact that like there's so many things that you can't control in the job applying process. We might as well like, you know, really apply ourselves to the, to the things we can control, you know, be it the words that we're using in the email spell check um, as, you know, as simple as it seems. But really, like you said, there are, first impression essentially Mm -hmm. to the agency and so they count for a lot more than usually the time it takes to like for us to put it together so um I think those are really good points yeah and first impressions are lasting impressions unfortunately (laughs) I know you can't count on getting to the interview to to clear up any or like qualify any of the things that you said for sure yeah. And that actually reminds me of two other things. Yeah. Um, sorry, my brain is just like firing right now. <laughs> um, but I remember one student last year asked me, oh, I've applied to 30 different role or 30 different companies. I'm not supposed to do that. Like I should just focus on 10. And I asked him, well, why did you apply to 30 and not your top 10? And he said, well, I figured that if I, I've been told that if I just put my resume out there to as many places as possible, I'll land some job. Mm-hmm. And the, the unfortunate truth to that is you only have one chance to make that first impression. So you've now put your resume out there, made 30 impressions to people, and your the impression is, mm, you're not really relevant or you didn't really pay attention to our company because you just submitted your resume that wasn't tailored to us. Right, right. So being very intentional about who you're applying to and what your materials are is key. Um, so another funny thing that happens, and I always relate recruiting and getting a job back to dating because it's such a simple metaphor. And if you have questions about should I do this or not, Think about what if it was in a dating scenario, and that gives you the answer. A lot of people have really great, um, like, resumes, or maybe they have a really great social media presence, but when we meet them in person, they're a completely different person Mm. than who we thought they were on social media. So as much effort as you put into your personal brand online, make sure it also reflects who you are genuinely because the worst thing that can happen is you're on Tinder, you see this guy who's really hot and you meet him in person and he's not hot at all or he's a different age, right? right? You feel duped. Right. Um, And that happens increasingly so given that more and more people have online personal brands. So something to be aware of is not to have too much disparity between reality and the perception. Oh, that's such a good point. 
Uh, I mean, because it ends up being kind of a waste of everyone's time if, you know, if it doesn't match, you know, what pe- they were expecting to walk through the door. Yeah. And then you're known as that guy or that girl who lies on, on quote unquote Tinder, which is right, right. not the real Tinder, but yeah. um, like the job application site. What would you tell someone who has been looking for a job for a while? Often it takes longer than we think it will um, and is starting to feel discouraged. What, what would you tell them? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is we've all been through that. We And if we haven't, we will at some point. Um, it's just when. Um, so one, don't be discouraged. Um, two, I would say be more, perhaps you can be more open-minded to the opportunities around you. And I say this because sometimes we can be so focused that we miss out on what else is out there for us. And it could be better, right? right? So using a personal example, when I graduated from school, I had to have that job taken away from me, that job offer taken away from me, for me to find something else that ultimately, ultimately years later, led me into recruiting. And I'm right. so thankful that that job was taken out. And I wasn't employed for several months after graduation, right. which to me was like death. Right. So <laughs> um, opening your mind, I think, makes a huge difference. And then the other thing is I think it's also a great time to start working on your side passion projects because once you start working full time, you're not going to have that time or energy right. to really devote to your side hobbies. And the second you share your passions with the world, people start noticing because it's genuine and it's unique and it's you and you start suddenly attracting the right opportunities mm-hmm. because they align with who you are. So yeah, don't be discouraged. Be more open-minded um, if you can and also work on some side projects, devote time to your passions. Yeah, the last point is is so true because, uh, you know, if you think about in, in the long term, you're going to be working for so much of your life. You know, I think it's it's worth trying to enjoy the time when you're not, even though it feels really stressful and um, sometimes like a dire situation because you don't have a job. But most yeah. of the time, too, if you do do a side project, then the length of time that you are unemployed, I think, matters less because you can show yes. this is what I've been doing. And people freak out about having like big gaps on their resumes. But I actually think you can get away with more time than you think if you've done something with the time outside of working a full-time job. So I think mm-hmm. that's really great advice. Yeah. In fact, when I ask candidates, so you have a gap in your resume, I'd love to hear why or what were you doing. There's some candidates who say, oh, well, I was job hunting. And in my mind, as a recruiter, immediately goes to, you couldn't find a job for four months. You must not be a good candidate, right. which it could absolutely not be true. Right, but right. it's human nature to think that. Right. And there are candidates who say, well, during the four months, I was job hunting, but I was also doing X, Y, Z. Right. So it shows that they also know how to time manage, be efficient, um, and really balance a lot of different type of, types of projects and still be successful at it. Yeah. I also think it's worth thinking about how the things that you did, whether it's through a side project or whatever you did, like worked a part-time job in retail or whatever you did for those um, months, how the things that you did there and the skills and the the, the actual tasks that you're doing um, can translate to things that recruiter might be looking for in that role as well. I think so much more is translatable than we think. So even though we don't have a position that has the same title as the one we're going for, you know, leading up to it, um, it's still, it can still be a value add. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. 
I mean, one example that comes to mind, I feel like we're just bouncing back and forth right now. Um, but let's say I just keep going back to this example. Let's say you want to work on a fashion brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you're unemployed. You get a job at a retail company for four months. Well, now you have this wonderful, valuable perspective of what it's like to work retail. And right. you see firsthand what the consumers are saying right. and experiencing. And that helps you ultimately become better at creating campaigns for a fashion brand. Totally. That's a great example. All right, let's end with the best piece of advice that you've ever been given. There's so many. I wrote them down because I didn't want to forget them because they're so good. Um, They're more of like motivational quotes, but they come from actual people that I've um, known. One um, was look for people who are willing to take a risk on you. And this is something that I always think about when I'm looking for a new job or talking to a potential employer is, are they willing to take a risk on me? Because if the answer is no, then I'm just there to fill a job. I'm not there to grow. There has to be that trust and investment in each other. Um, And then this one I learned in high school from one of my mentors. And she said, pick out a positive trait from every single person you meet Mm. and then integrate it into yourself. So everyone you meet, they're not going to be the perfect person, but they all have one really cool thing and take it and adopt it. Um, the third one I learned this at Droga Five is find your backbone, mm-hmm. and it's not have a backbone; it's find it because everyone has a different backbone, and you have to define what are you willing to stand up for, and how are you going to stand up for that. And especially as women in the workplace, mm-hmm. as minorities in the workplace, that's increasingly important to do it with a way that jives with who you are. I love that there's not; it's implied that there's not like a one size fits all backbone, and that you can do it in kind of your own way as long as, you know, you have one and you've kind of defined it. I love that. Yeah. And actually the first time I heard this, I comprehended it as I have to have a, like a backbone, like the same one that everyone else has. And I stumbled a bit when mm-hmm. I tried that backbone on because it didn't feel right. And right. people thought I was weird. Um, so then I was like, okay, is that, it actually means find and define your own backbone. So right massage that one a bit. And the last one comes from my mom who has just amazing advice. Moms are great. (laughs) And I was on the phone with her one day and I was just like stressed about everything because there was work, there was like house stuff going on. And she goes, stop working so hard. Enjoy life. Life is short. It's not all about work. It's not all about being perfect. It's not all about having everything together. Just enjoy life. Um, And this is a recent piece of advice she gave me and it's changed everything. Mm. So Advertising is not life. Yes. Uh, marketing is not life. Life is life. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's such a good way to end and, and something that we all have to keep in mind, I think. Thank you yeah. so much for taking the time. This was such a fun conversation. Oh, I think like, I think we believe in the, a lot of the same things and it makes for like a really easy back and forth. Where can people keep up with you if they want to see what you're up to? Yeah, so I'm fine with connecting on everything except for Facebook unless we're actually personal (laughs) friends or if we've met in some form or another. Um, So LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Not too active on Snapchat, but I I can be a voyeur on Snapchat. So, (laughs) yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll, I'll include all the links so that everyone can connect with you and and see what you're up to. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you so much to Jocelyn for getting tactical and sharing her perspective as a recruiting expert. I would highly recommend following her on all the channels that she mentioned. Lastly, I wanted to say thanks to everyone who sent such warm messages after the drum article came out last week. It was such a wonderful surprise to be on that list, both humbling and also imposter syndrome inducing, but I will say it was less imposter syndrome inducing than maybe in the past when I've gotten recognition. So 
maybe I'm making progress. Advice is so much better shared. Leave us a review on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. And while you're at it, sign up for our weekly email. It's a small dose of advice and insight delivered Mondays. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week and that you're able to find a way to share what you're struggling with with someone else. I'm Natalie, and until next time, you got this.